0: Okay, we're going to hear from God's Word now. We've just sung really a prayer, which is that God would speak through His Word. And that's how God does speak to us. So we're going to hear it from James this morning. We're in a series in the book of James. And today we're looking at James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. So if you've got a Bible there, keep it open. if you've got the sermon outline page, that'll also help you if you want to take some notes. Okay, so let's hear the word of God. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Amen. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, come to uh, hear your word explained and applied, we pray, Father, that you would uh, give us listening ears, And Father, help us, uh, as we've just read, not to not just be a hearer only, but a doer of your word. Uh, We need your Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds so that we can understand it, and we need him to light our paths so that we can walk in it. And so may you fill us with your spirit to that end, uh, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we did begin this series uh, in the book of James that uh, Mitch and I are calling Real Faith. And uh, James, uh, it's a book that's all about what real faith looks like in practice. Uh, See, James, uh, he's assuming that his hearers, uh, his readers have heard the gospel. He's assuming that they are professing faith in Jesus. But what James is concerned about is that if, if they have this relationship with God, you know, if they have real faith, what will that actually look like in practice? Okay, in practical ways, what, what difference will faith make to your life? That's the big question of the book. And uh, the passage that we're looking at today, that tells us one of those differences that, that faith will make. And the difference that it will make uh, is that if you have this real relationship with God, then you will have a real relationship with his word. And that relationship with God's word will be marked by three things according to this passage. You will listen to the word, you will live the word, and you will be liberated by the word. Okay, live, uh, sorry, listen, live, and be liberated by the word. So let's look at those three things. Uh, First, you listen to the word that's in uh, this first paragraph, verses 19 to 21. So let's let's read that again. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to be angry. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, it is important to read that paragraph in the context of what's just gone before. So if you just go back one verse, which I included on the handout, by the way, uh, there we were reminded that we were given new life in Christ, how? Through the word of truth. In other words, the way we come to know Jesus and the way we come to know all the blessings of salvation is through what God has revealed to us in the Bible. And now in this passage, James he kind of hones in on that that idea of of the place that God's word has in our lives. And he shows us that the word of God is not only the means by which we come into a relationship with God, but it's also the means by which we continue in that relationship, the way we grow in that relationship. And uh, that's what he means by calling God's word uh, there in verse 21, the implanted word. When you're born again, God's word is implanted in you in the sense that it now has a permanent place in your life. God's Word, it's uh, it's an inseparable part of what it actually means to belong to God, and it's now to be the main means of shaping every aspect about us, the way we think, the way we feel, the desires we have, uh, our outlook on life, how we perceive reality. God's Word is now to shape everything about us. But James, remember, James is a practical guy. He wants to know, how does that happen in practice? I don't just want theory, I want to know, how does this work? And that's what he tells us uh, in these verses here. He actually gets it across in a very in-your-face kind of way. And if you look at verse 19, notice where he says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. What he's getting at there is, is the heart of what it means to be a good listener, okay? A good listener is not just someone who is uh, introverted and quiet. Uh, a good listener or even a bad listener, it's, it's not a personality trait. It's actually a heart issue. So you think about some of the conversations that we um, have with others. You know, to give one example, uh, you know, when someone starts telling you a a really exciting story about something that happened to them in the day. Now, are we listening as they're telling that story? Well, not really. Where is our mind going? We're now thinking about all the wonderful and exciting things that happened to us in the day so that we can just, you know, can they just hurry up and finish their story so we can tell them a more exciting story about what happened to us. Or uh, think about a uh, disagreement. You've had with someone recently. Maybe uh, you had a disagreement with your spouse last week, or or with someone at work. But why did that disagreement quickly become an angry argument? Why? Because we didn't listen to the other person. Instead, we were thinking about what we had to say next to win the argument. And so we hardly even let the other person finish what they're saying before we talk over the top of them, because we're not listening. See, we approach so many of our interactions like this of of being slow to listen and very quick to speak, very quick to get angry. Why? Because we make the interaction all about us. It's all about what we think, about what what we want. Okay, our interactions are about ourselves. And so so often we're far more interested in what we have to say rather than what others have to say. We're so much more interested in... Uh, in, in sharing our opinions rather than listening to other people's opinions. And so we think that what we have to say is the most important thing that needs to be said. And, and I know that when I am slow to hear and quick to speak and quick to get angry, I know that in that moment, every time, it's because what matters most to me is me. You know, I think the most important opinion is my own, that my voice is what needs to be heard uh, the most. And see, so that what is all of that? That's, that's a self-centered outlook on life, with myself right at the center and everything revolving around me. Everything has to go my way. And it's that self-centeredness of our hearts, that's what makes us terrible listeners. And therefore, being quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger, this is James calling us to a radical new lifestyle, a lifestyle that, where we, we kill the old self-centered approach of me first and me at the center to now me not at the center, others at the center. And that opens up the ability to become a really good listener, you know, to slow down, to actually hear what other people are saying and to, to, to really understand them, which is at the heart of what a good relationship works on. Healthy relationships built on listening and understanding. Now, but why does James say this? Why is he suddenly talking about you know, not getting angry and, and you know, racing off saying stuff? Well, it's a bridge because he, he wants to talk about not just any relationship, but our most important relationship, which is our relationship with God. And that's the way he applies uh, this this, uh, example of good listening uh, in verse 21. He says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So in other words, James is saying, give up your self-centeredness. Repent of that. Turn away from it. Put it to death and do what? Listen to God. Receive with meekness The implanted word is is saying that we need to be, we need to become good listeners of God himself. And how does God speak to us? He speaks to us through his word, the Bible. All scripture is God breathed, says 2 Timothy 3.16, which means that God is the ultimate author of every word. And so to hear the Bible, to hear God's word, is not just hearing words from the past, It's a living word. God is speaking to us through his word now. Uh, In fact, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in chapter 4 says that God's word is living and active. Uh, The the writer of Hebrews compares it to a sharp sword that cuts very deep right into our our souls. It, It opens it up. It exposes what we are really like. It's a living word. And so we can't approach God's word like any other book or any other writing. Uh, It's not just some bloke's opinion. It's not just some woman's uh, ideas. No, no, this is the word of the God of the universe. And God is speaking to us through his word. And therefore to receive with meekness the implanted word, it means we need to slow down. We need to stop talking all the time. We need to stop thinking that our opinion counts the most. We need to start listening to God share his opinion. And see, this word meekness, receive the word with meekness, this is, it's the very opposite of being argumentative and being arrogant and being indifferent. To receive the word with meekness is actually a humble, teachable spirit. It's like, remember little um, Samuel in the book of Samuel, when God first reveals himself to Samuel, and what does Samuel say? Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. See that that humble, teachable attitude. It's not the, yeah, yeah, I heard you the first time kind of attitude. Now, to receive the word with meekness means you actually take the time to listen to God, which means even setting a time aside where you, you do get into the word. To receive the word with meekness means you love to hear God. You love to hear him tell tell you what he is like, not letting our imaginations decide what God is like. It means to, to love to hear God tell us what life is about, what we are for, what to think, what to desire, what to li- how to live. To receive the word with meekness means that we embrace every part of it with confidence. You know, even those parts that are really hard to understand, those parts that might even be quite confronting, And even out of step with our culture, you know, like the the reality of hell and judgment. The fact that Jesus is the only way to be saved. The law of God being absolute. This is about letting God define reality for us. Listening to him, letting him tell us what is right and wrong, not making it up ourselves. And, of course, listening or receiving the word with meekness also means you don't turn a blind eye to those things that are hard. You know, you know those things in the Bible where we kind of go, I'll get onto that one day, but just not now. It's a little bit difficult. Uh, so, for example, um, you know, has God's word ever convicted you about generosity, about actually sharing your money and possessions with others in need? Has God's word ever convicted you about actually forgiving that person who really hurt you a long time ago? Has God's word convicted you about actually seeking help to overcome that addiction that's been going on and on and on? Has God's word convicted you over putting to death your selfishness, your lust, your pride? See, to receive the word with meekness. You don't turn a blind eye. You don't say, that sounds too hard. It'll be too costly. No, you listen. In fact, notice what James does say here in verse 21. Notice how overcoming sin in our lives is directly tied to how we listen to God's word. James even says it is able to save your souls. And when he's talking about your soul being saved there, he's talking about the ongoing present work of salvation, of God delivering you from uh, from sin, you know, the ongoing renewal of your lives in the image of Christ. See, so this is what real faith looks like. Real faith listens to the word of God. Humble listening, receiving it with meekness. So that's the first thing. How are you going with that? Okay, but there's a second thing here, because when we read on, we realize that just hearing is not enough. Hearing God's word is only the first step, and it can never remain the only step. Because if you hear the word of God, you must act on it. You've got to practice it. Uh, my, My second point, I'm calling it, you actually live the word. And we see that in verses 22 to 27, so the rest of the passage. Uh, and James, he kicks that off by saying, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. And listen, deceiving yourselves. This is the second time James has mentioned the danger of actually deceiving ourselves. Now, last week we saw that when you're in a trial, you can deceive yourself, uh, thinking that you've got a better way of dealing with it than what God gives us. But here we see, here's another place where we are especially prone to deceiving ourselves. It's It's where we we can hear God's word like we're doing right now. Okay, we're all sitting here listening to a sermon on God's word. So we're hearing God's word. We might even agree with what it says. And we might think, there, done. I've done my job for the day. I've let God's work do what it has to do. I'm going home. That's it. I can forget about it. But see, if we only hear and don't get around to actually putting into practice what we hear, it's a case of being deluded, Self-deluded. And James gets this across with this brilliant illustration in verses 23 and 24. Uh, Have a look at that. In verse 23, he says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now think about that. What, what is the purpose of a mirror? You've all got mirrors in your house, right? What is the point of a mirror? Okay, the point of a mirror is to show you what you really like. So when you look into it, you can see what you really like, not, not an imaginary idea of what you look like. Uh, and so, you know, let's, let's say you've got your mirror. And how does it work? Well, you're about to go out to an evening meeting, and so you go and look in the mirror, and what do you see? You see your hair is a mess. You see, you've got food stuck in your teeth, you've eaten spaghetti uh, bolognese, and you've got all of these little splatters all over your top. You can tell that two days ago you ate a Vegemite sandwich because it's still there. And so, what do you do when you see all this stuff? You tidy yourself up. You know, you brush your hair, you brush your teeth, you change your top, and you wash your face. See, that's the point of a mirror. The reason we have mirrors in our house is not because we look so wonderful and it's just such a pleasure to look at ourselves every day. The reason we have a mirror is to show you what needs fixing so you can get right onto it straight away and not go out to that meeting uh, looking a mess. What we don't do is what this fellow in the illustration does. So you notice what he does. He looks in the mirror and he goes away and he forgets what he looks like. He doesn't actually act on what he sees because he forgets. You know, He's the guy who goes to the job interview with the Vegemite on his face and he misses out on the, getting the job. See, what's the point of looking in a mirror if you don't do something about what it reveals? And this is such a brilliant illustration because it has a couple of layers to it. One of the layers is that it's showing us that God's word functions just like a mirror. Okay, when you look in a mirror, you see yourself as you truly are. When you look into the Word of God, what happens? You see yourself as you truly are. God's Word reveals what you really look like. Not an imaginary concept of yourself, but what you really, truly look like before the eyes of the living God. Okay, now you see what's going on. In fact, remember that passage in Hebrews I mentioned? It actually says that the Word of God judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So when we look into God's Word, it reflects what's really going on in the deepest recess of, of our heart. Okay, the very emotional control center of our lives and reveals it. And what do we see? We see all the things that need fixing, we see all of the ways in which we fall short of God's standard. So when we look into God's word, we should expect to be convicted, to be confronted, to be exposed. And there's no other place where you can get this. No, no one else can enable you to see what you really look like the way that God's word does. So that's one of the layers of this uh, illustration. God's word is like a mirror, shows us what we're really like. But the other layer is how foolish is it then for God to reveal some things about you that need fixing, and you go away and do nothing about it? How foolish would that be? Okay, that's, that's like the mirror revealing you've got dirt all over your face and yet you go out and you forget and don't do anything about it. So you look at verse 25. Here's the application. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So it's in his doing that he's blessed. Uh, that that verse really helped me this week, just thinking it through, where, uh, you know, sometimes you get really excited about something that God has laid on your heart or has revealed maybe in a Bible study or in a sermon or something, and you get really excited about it, and then... A few months later, maybe even a year later, you hear the same thing again, you go, oh, that's right, I did nothing about that. See, but what's this saying? He, he, he doesn't forget. He perseveres in it. Or sometimes, you know, you're confronted with something, you make that effort to change, you find that there's a lot more resistance there than you could ever have imagined. Resistance in your own heart, resistance from the evil one himself. And you get a little way in and you think, this is just too hard. I give up. What happened? Didn't persevere. See, he'll be blessed in his doing, not not forgetting. And just so the point is lost on us, James does hammer this home with a couple of examples. Because if we just left it at, you know, go and do the word. It's a bit vague, isn't it? Well, what are we doing? But James gives us three examples which he's actually going to unpack in the rest of the book. Uh, He he says in verses 26 to 27, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now I'm not going to unpack that in a whole lot of detail because that is a summary of the rest of the book. Okay, chapter two we'll talk about uh, looking after those in need. Chapter three we'll talk about bridling our tongue. Chapter four we'll talk about not being uh, stained by the world. So we're going to unpack all of that. But James is preparing us here. He's saying, when you hear all that unpacked, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to say too hard? Or, oh, that's fantastic, I'll do it, and then tomorrow forget. No, no, look, if God's word makes no difference in these areas, if if God's word makes no difference to the words that come out of your mouth, the way you talk to other people, the way you talk about other people behind their backs, if it makes no difference, what does James say? This is very confronting. He says your religion is worthless. You've actually, it's a fraud. There's no reality to it. Uh, he says, if God's word doesn't make any difference to, uh, to people with needs, like in, in this situation, orphans and widows in affliction. If you're like, you know, who cares about them? I just care about me. What's that? Worthless religion. There's no reality to it. It's the same deal with the worldliness. And see, James is saying, this is how you know. If you are listening to God's word, do you put it into practice? Okay, Are you controlling your tongue? Are you practicing kindness? Are you making efforts to live a godly life? This is all very straightforward. But if there is no difference, if there is no practicing of the word of God, it doesn't matter how many sermons you listen to or how many Bible studies you attend or how many memory verses you can recite, If there is no putting God's word into practice, James says it's just worthless religion. That's all you've got. Because James is interested in real faith. What does real faith look like? It looks like listening to the word. It looks like living the word. Okay, but there's a third thing. Okay, this is hard hitting. There's a third thing though. Those who listen to the word, those who live the word, are also liberated by the word. And uh, we see that liberated, uh, we see that back in verse 25. So let's just look back there again. Notice uh, in verse 25 where James calls God's word, he says it's the perfect law, uh, the law of liberty. God's word is the law of liberty. Now, what does he mean by that? Because to most Australians, that that makes absolutely no sense. How can the law bring liberty? Okay, to the average Aussie, law and liberty are are like opposites. Putting them in the same sentence is like, have you heard of an oxymoron? So how can law bring liberty? I mean, how how can the law make us free? That's not normally how we think about law and freedom. I mean, we think of laws as restricting our freedom or taking away our freedom. You know. So if you could imagine uh, owning a Ferrari, um, dumb illustration, I do know, but imagine owning a Ferrari and every time you're on the open road and you see a speed limit sign, do you feel free? <laughs> no, you feel restricted. Or um, actually there's some, of, some of you here have been here a long time. Can you remember when this carpet was brand new, and there was a big sign up, no food and drink in this room. Did you feel free? Free to have a coffee wherever you feel like it? No, you were restricted. See, we when we think of law, we think of law as taking away our freedom, it's restricting us. Because the culture we live in does define freedom as no restrictions. You know, people say, I'm only free if no one's telling me what to do, if I can decide for myself what I should um, do. And that's why, um, you know, just to take one um, very prominent example in our culture, uh, many people today, when they hear the Bible's teaching on sex, they say, how, <laughs> what a form of bondage, you know, restricting sex to uh, heterosexual marriage, people say that, that's not letting people be free. And so it's often called a form of bondage today. Anyway, so how can God's word be the law of liberty? How does it set us free? Well, this is actually showing us that there is a much better way of defining freedom than just no restrictions. Now, real freedom is not the absence of restrictions. Real freedom is found in having the right restrictions. And it's the restrictions that, that pull you into exactly what you were intended to be, okay? What, what your maker designed you to be, okay? If you can find those restrictions that pull you into that, that's where you find true freedom. And so if we think about the um, Ferrari again, uh, w- when is a Ferrari truly free? It's when it's restricted to the racetrack because then it can be all that it's designed and made it to be. See, restrictions don't take away freedom. It's finding the right restrictions that actually open up freedom. And see, that's what James is saying God's word is. God's word gives us the way to be truly free because it restricts life to the way God designed it to work. It's kind of like the owner's manual. Now, this is God saying, this is how I designed you. This is what you were for. This is how you will enjoy all that you were designed to be when you live according to his word. Uh, In fact, um, John said that in, uh, sorry, Jesus said that uh, in John 8. Jesus, because he is God in the flesh, he said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, that's how God's word is the law of liberty. It really does bring true freedom when we live it. Uh, But there's another reason why God's word is the law of liberty. So you have a look at verse 25 again. He says, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Now that word looks into, or it's a Greek word translated looks into, but it's actually a very unique word in the original language that actually means to lean over. And so it's a word that that conveys the idea that if you want to see something clearly, you lean over and look. You study it. You look very carefully at it. And to do that, you often need to lean over, especially if you're short-sighted. But here it's saying that when you look into the Word of God and really look, What do you actually see? Okay, what is the Word of God about? Or what should we see when we look into the Word of God, when we really look? Well, here's a clue. In John 5, look at what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, according to the author of the Bible, it's all about Jesus. You search the scriptures. The scriptures are about me, says Jesus. See, James, uh, he says uh, we're to be doers of the word, but really there is only one person who actually has done all of the word, who did it perfectly, and that, of course, is Jesus. Uh, he's the only one who produced the righteousness of God that we saw in verse 20. And remember all of those ways in which God's word is like a mirror and shows us where we fall short, shows us all those things that are wrong, all of the stains that are on our soul. Okay, Jesus is the only one who can help you with that because he is the only one who is qualified to die in your place to take your punishment for your sin. He's the only one who could do that because he had no sin and therefore he could step in and take the punishment. He is the righteous one, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. And see, here's the thing. It's only through faith in Jesus that you can then look into the law, the perfect law, and it be a law of liberty to you because it's only through faith in Jesus that you're not condemned by the law. And therefore, if you're in Christ, you are truly free, which means the more that God's word exposes your heart, the more it shows you the depth of your sin, the more it points you back to the grace of Jesus, that you would hold him, that he would be your only hope, that you would not try to save yourself, but that you would rest fully in Jesus. And it's only knowing Christ, it's only knowing that we're saved by his blood, that then we can actually be real doers of the word. The kind of doers who aren't doing in order to earn God's favour, which you can never do, that's a form of bondage. The law can only be liberty when you have Christ, when you know you are set free from the condemnation of the law so that you can now live in the freedom of obeying God out of joy, out of gratitude for what he has done for you by saving you through the perfect obedience of Jesus. And see, that's true liberty. That's why Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So where do we start? Where do we end? We end with the same question. Do you have real faith? Is your faith real? Well, here it is. Real faith listens to God. Real faith lives God's word. Real faith knows this liberty that comes through grace. And it's that liberty that empowers you to live for God in real joy. See, verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It's in the doing. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you uh, expose us, and Father, we all feel uh, very exposed at the moment because we all know the the pattern of hearing what you say and doing nothing about it. And Father, we do pray that you would uh, wake us up, uh, help us, Father, to not uh, be indifferent to what you say. But, Lord, we pray for your spirit, that that he would work through your word to bring about this deep conviction. And, Father, we we thank you that there is empowerment, not found in ourselves, but found in Christ and in all that he has done for us to free us for true obedience. So, Lord, as you expose our sin, may that drive us to the Saviour, that we would find uh, our, our forgiveness in him and also our empowerment to now live for you out of joy and gratitude. And Father, we pray for those uh, today who who may have heard the call to come to know Christ as Saviour and yet haven't got around to responding. We pray for them, Father, that today would be the day of salvation. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.